Hello, ladies and gentlemen, you are listening to the Keto Savage Podcast. I am your host, Robert Sykes. Anyways, we've got Carlos Spells on the podcast today. He is a pretty interesting dude. We dove into how he's lost over 130 pounds on keto. Um, he's he's really focused on intermittent fasting, so we dove into his specific protocol behind that, doing like an OMAD approach. Uh, we also dove into his passion for obstacle course racing. I've been wanting to get into obstacle courses for a while now, haven't pulled the trigger. After talking with him, I'm pretty sure I'm going to have to pull the trigger sooner rather than later because I've got the itch to do so. But it was just cool talking with him. He's he's black and he's keto, and he's been really trying to make a, a movement in the African-American community to bring more uh, African-Americans into keto, which is it's cool to see because the more people that are keto and talking about keto, the more diversity is going to be there and the more people we can reach and make healthy. So really resonated with everything he was saying. Awesome podcast, awesome conversation. Really had a fun time talking with Carlos. Sit back, relax, and enjoy. And we're live. Carlos, how are you, man? I'm great, man. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. I think I actually saw you at KetoCon, but I didn't know who you were at the time. Um, I wouldn't follow you on Instagram, I, but I saw you. I'm like, man, this guy's got a beard. I've got beard goals going on here. Let me catch <laughs> up with you and <laughs> get on your level, bro. Yeah, no, I did see you at the KetoCon. I uh, actually just went crazy on the uh, deal you had with the Keto Bricks. Nice, and nice. So, um, I was uh, sampling every one about three or four times because I had just broke my fast. Yeah, so you uh, you're big into the intermittent fasting. I didn't mean to cut you off there. Oh yeah, no, no, no. I I love fasting. It's uh it's my claim to fame. If I like to like to say it. Yeah, I mean, I I honestly don't know much about you, so I'm kind of using this podcast as a good introductory to myself and the audience. But I want to dive into the fasting. I know you've lost over 130 pounds. I want to dive into that. But give give me and the audience a little little background, man. Give me a little little insight. Uh, I was going to say, uh, basically, how old am I? 34. So uh, 34 years old, come from a family of uh, six other siblings. So mom had a large amount of kids. Also, two came from a background of basically diabetes, high blood pressure. So uh, the way I always like to start off, I kind of started off with a little predisposition to bad health or uh, overweight. Mm-hmm. Um, I was my mother's biggest baby, wind up uh, coming out. And uh, in elementary, as a kid, I was a pretty much well just a stick with a head on it. So I was a pretty uh, little scrawny kid and uh, was that way, like I said, throughout elementary, hit middle school. And that's when things changed because uh vividly remember it coming back to school and everybody was like, damn, Los, you, 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 you're bigger now. Like you're just bigger. And so uh, one mm-hmm. of the things in uh, my family was... Um, Basically, we we downplayed the whole idea of size. You were just big boned. You just were a husky kid. You just you just you know growing into your size. So uh, didn't really think much of it. Not even much through uh, middle school or even high school. But it wasn't until uh, I would say I hit college where I really started to notice like more so of the weight gain. And what what were you eating during this period? And what kind of food growing up? Oh, typical standard American diet. Um, to be quite honest, man, like looking back on what I was eating, it was it was all trash. I call it trash. Even as a kid, mm-hmm. I would come home and eat two or three peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, more jelly than peanut butter, with the white bread, with a glass of milk, watching my bill, not a science guy, to as time went on. Yeah. <laughs> I went on to eat uh, Hot Pockets, uh, Philly steak and cheese, pepperoni pizza. I was uh, eating that, Vienna sausages, sardines, macaroni and cheese was definitely my favorite. 
So it was just, that was what I was eating throughout the years. And honestly, I wasn't even a, a big fan of proponent of salad or veggies. If we did, we had them out the can. I would eat them just so I could mm-hmm. be able to eat more bread, more, just more other crappy food. And also too, I was like a sugar fiend. So we were very big on the whole idea of having a tea with your sugar. It wasn't just, it was very sweet tea. Oh, Kool-Aid. Once again, that was really just a lot of sugar in it as well. So I don't even remember water as a kid. Like, I don't even remember anything like that. I believe I went straight from Similac to Mountain Dew. So that was kind of my way of eating. What what state are you located in? Uh, St. Louis. St. Louis, Missouri. I know you say a state, but St. Louis, Missouri. So that's kind of like good old, you, know, you get a lot of like Southern, Southern style cooking in, in Missouri. That's far enough South to get a lot of that Southern yeah, cooking. Yeah. And also too, my uh, parents are uh, from the South as well. So if you definitely didn't get it from the area, they brought it up here with them. So sweet tea and fried chicken is kind of like what we're supposed exactly. to eat. Exactly. Right? You can't forget about the mac and cheese and the mashed potatoes and gravy too. Like that's also a crucial part of it. And cornbread. You, you can't forget about that. Yeah. Cornbread. <laughs> for sure. So you were you were you were going to college. What what were you saying there? You that's when you really started noticing the weight. Yeah, weight that's when uh, I was just really putting on the weight. I was uh, when I came back my freshman year of uh, college. My mother she told me flat out she was like, "Man, saying like you didn't got fatter," and it was like I would have liked to have just been fat, but I guess fatter is cool too. So um, that's <laughs> when I really started to notice it. Also, too, it was just uh, simple things were were becoming a task. I wouldn't walk up the steps and have a conversation with you at the same time. I would pause as soon as we made it to the mm-hmm. steps, and I'd have to give you a few minutes after the steps in order to be able to finish that conversation. And so uh, that is when I started to notice it and uh, really kind of started to try to take action towards losing weight and uh, just try several things. Um, whatever I could find, I, was, uh, I got heavy into cardio, was doing that, tried the whole idea of using Slim Fast because that was prevalent around me. Um, that didn't really work. Then I tried uh, eating salads, massive salads. They were really massive because I couldn't necessarily satisfy my appetite. And even if I could satisfy my appetite, mm-hmm. it wasn't for very long. Um, and so, like I said, I just tried a, a whole gambit of, of things throughout the years. I even uh, tried the Subway diet at one point. Cause if Jerry can lose it, I know I got to be able to lose it. He can't be that much different than me. So, like I said, just trying different things and nothing really seemed to work. I would lose weight only to turn around and gain it back. And uh, they carried on even after I wound up graduating college. And it wasn't until um, I wound up meeting my uh, my fiance, well, now wife, where I kind of found that resurgence of a passion to, to try to lose weight again. Because before her, I just made peace with, hey, look, my family is big. I'm big. Like, that, that just must be a norm. I must be one of those people who got the genetic pool where I'm just destined to be fat. So I just kind of gave up the idea of losing weight. Mm-hmm. But like I said, it wasn't until I met my fiance and wife where I realized that I can't really keep up with her. And as I like to call them, her crackhead cousins and family, they were like high energy everywhere, jumping off the wall. And I couldn't keep up with them no more than an hour or two. So it was uh, really meeting them and kind of having that resurgence where I was like, you know what? Uh, I need to start taking action, you know, about doing something in my life. And uh, even though I had that influence around, if I'm truly being honest, it wasn't until my weight gained started to affect the intimacy with me and my wife that I was like, I really got to do something about this. Like when she gave me the good old pat on the back and like, Mm -hmm. Oh, it's okay. We'll try again next time. Or you did your best. No, that was, that was so much of an ego crush. I had already been like limiting my life, keeping myself held back, uh, not going out, doing stuff. 
And at this time, we were living in Florida near uh, the Disney theme parks and stuff, Orlando. And it was like, it just wasn't fun to me because I was tired mm -hmm. of being tired and constantly sweating. So, um, like I said, I'm just giving up and doing so much stuff. Where I'm just like, you know what? Like, no, this this is the final straw for me. Like, I, I can't do this no more. So, um, wind up getting myself into a gym. And the next thing, like I said, I've tried so many other different facets or avenues of losing weight. The only thing I hadn't tried was bodybuilding. I was like, these people are cut. These people are defined. They have a physique similar to what I want. So they must be doing something right. So uh, this was by this time kind of fast forward things. This was maybe around the, uh, I would say the, I believe right around the beginning of 2016. Uh, no, 20, 2017. And mm -hmm. so um, I started diving right off into like the whole bodybuilding experience. So I went from eating a couple meals a day to now I'm eating five to six meals a day. I'm uh, drinking a pre, intro, and post-workout shake. I'm chugging down about anywhere from 600 to 1,000 milligrams of caffeine a day because now since I'm working out so much, I'm tired, constantly eating. And so I did that for about six months or so before, uh, and I like had some results, lost about 50 pounds or so and excited about it. I was getting compliments about it and it was nice. But the other thing that I couldn't shake was, one, I hit a plateau, so I wasn't losing any weight anymore. Also, too, with that plateau, I could turn around and lose seven pounds, gain six pounds, lose six pounds, gain like five pounds. Like my weight was fluctuating too much. And uh, despite this weight loss, I actually didn't feel mm -hmm. good. Like I, I didn't feel like I thought I would have had losing 50 some pounds. I still was tired. Because you were following like super high protein style, like old school yeah. bodybuilding type nutrition. Yep. High protein, high carb, very low fat. Uh, honestly, I think I maybe eat about six or seven things, which was like sirloin, uh, steak, chicken breast, chicken tenderloin, broccoli, um, sweet potatoes, and uh, brown rice. That's all I was eating. And if I wanted some flavor, I hit it with hot sauce. That was about it. And so I mm -hmm. uh, was doing all of that. And like I said, I just, I just didn't feel good. I was still every, every what quarter, I was still getting sick. I would say at least four to five times a year, I was still getting sick. I couldn't pass a bowel movement. It may be two or three days before I actually went to the restroom. Uh, still was dealing with mad heartburn. That's why I actually cut back on eating uh, hot sauce because I'm like, man, this, this heartburn is getting to be too ridiculous. And so once again, just not feeling like the weight loss was improving my health. So then I wind up, um, from that point, I just went on and um, I had failed so many other times. I was like, you know, I just can't, I can't fail this time. Like I, there's got to be something. If I was able to lose 50 pounds, there's got to be something going on. And so I did the only thing I could do at the time. I just cut my carbs in half. And I didn't even really think about it being carbs at the time. I just knew like I really needed protein, quote unquote, to build muscle and to stay, quote unquote, healthy. So uh, I cut the mm -hmm. uh, sweet potatoes and I cut the uh, brown rice in half. And instantly noticed a difference in my weight loss. So I started losing like a couple pounds here and there. And with that weight loss, I was like, okay, cool. Like I'm, I'm doing the right thing again. So that kind of sparked my interest in uh, looking into what only thing I knew. Only thing I knew at that time was I was cutting my carbs. Cutting my carbs led me to low carb, and from low carb, I kind of found a uh, keto. I was like, I'm not sure what the what the hell keto really is, what this is all about, but um, it seems to be like other things that I've tried necessarily wasn't working, and this seems to be helping. So uh, that's when I wind up stumbling upon uh. Keto Talk, when I'm stumbling upon that show with uh, Jimmy Moore and uh, Dr. Adam at the time, 
and I just like binge listen to them. Mm-hmm. Just listen to almost every episode I could. I would uh, read articles and find out things I could about it. And so now about this time, this is about September of uh, 2017 and uh, September going on October. And so after doing so much research, after seeing what was happening when I was cutting my carbs and learning what truly keto was in terms of how low the carbs was, because I went from like 300 grams of carbs a day to about 150, which I thought was low. But when I saw keto, I'm like, oh my goodness, like you, you want me to go like 20 to 30? Like that's, that's crazy, but you know what, whatever. So um, I remember the weekend at my reception, I basically told my wife, I was like, hey, can you run to the store and get me a bottle of uh, oil? And uh, she was like, what, what kind of oil? I was like, I just need oil. I'll, all I know is this avenue I'm about to take is going to be high fat, so give me some oil. So I went to my reception with a bottle of 369 Omega oil and a big bag of peanuts. And that's basically what I ate throughout my reception. So I was just chugging that's oil it. and popping a handful of peanuts. And the crazy thing about it was, to me, was the fact that I went from feeling hungry every two hours, almost on the clock. I can tell you exactly when like two hours had passed. And I, I w- went from being hungry like that to now I'm like, it's been almost like a whole eight hours and I haven't even felt hungry. I don't even have an appetite or nothing. And so it was like, not only with that, despite not having anything to eat, I still actually had energy to go throughout my day. And at the time I kind of wrote it off as like, oh, this is excitement because this is a reception. You know, I got to help out. But it was just like, I literally did not feel tired until maybe like late in the evening, which was very unusual for me. And so um, after that weekend uh, of feeling that, I was like, I'm, I'm all into this keto life. I'm all into this. And so uh, that's when I wound up started looking for more stuff in terms of food, because I, I can't just drink oil and eat peanuts all day long. And so I started looking into different food <laughs> yeah. items, uh, learning more about keto, learning more about what it was, the science behind it. And after maybe about a couple of months of really doing keto, that's when I naturally kind of gravitated over to uh, intermittent fasting. Because like I'm already going about six to eight hours without eating. And so I'm like, well... Only thing I really know about fasting is really you just stay away from food. You really just drink water, keep hydrated, eat plenty of salt, and that's really what you do. And so, true to my nature and everything else I've done so far in the world, I uh, said, you know, I want to do a two-day fast. So, uh, when I'm doing a two-day fast, it lasted for about fifty hours or so, and after that point, just realizing that I was able to go without eating. I was fine. I could still function throughout my day. Yeah, I did have some hunger pains here and there, but it wasn't nothing that lasted too long. And besides, if I can go three days without taking a shit, I'm sure I can go a few hours without having a a meal and be just fine. So like my tolerance for overlooking stuff was already high. So I was like, this this isn't a huge difference. And so from that point on, it was just, I was now doing fasting. I was doing fasting at least 12 to 16 hours a day. And by this time, this is like a December time frame. And so remember, I told you I was heavy on uh, allergy medications and not really feeling good. Well, by this time, I started noticing that I wasn't feeling as bloated. I wasn't feeling low on energy. Also, too, I started noticing that uh, I was getting nosebleeds. And I was like, this is kind of weird that I would be getting nosebleeds. But once again, from all the research I've seen, like, I'm not going to blame keto. This isn't keto's fault. There's got to be something going on. So what I did was I actually wound up just kicking my allergy meds. And ever since December of 2017, I haven't popped an allergy pill or anything of the sort to control my allergies. And so it's just like ever since then, I've been I've been a fan. I've been hooked on keto and intermittent fasting. And uh, throughout this time, like I said, I had lost 50 pounds. But up until this point leading up to now, I've lost an additional 70 pounds. Like I said, why not keeping 130 pound loss down? 
just naturally. And so I, I just got so into keto fasting and how I was able to heal my body, get energy, enjoy life with my family that I wound up uh, getting a certification to do keto coaching under uh, Dr. Eric Berg. And I've just been like helping people with keto. Uh, anytime I see somebody having an issue or talking about their pains they're having or symptoms or any issues or complications with keto, I'm like, hey, it's not keto. Maybe it's just your approach to keto and let's work on that. And so I've uh, just been uh, passionate about helping people out and uh, paying it forward from there and just keep on moving. That's freaking awesome, man. I mean, honestly, for me, just looking at the keto space and the people that are, you know, making waves in the space, it's like it, it all stems from, you know, no, no, noticing a huge t change in how you personally feel and just like finding your zeal for life again. Because like if you feel like crap, if you're carrying a bunch of weight around, you got, you know, really bad inflammation no energy. It's just hard to live life with any type of excitement. And then when you get that back, it's like your mission in life becomes sharing what you've learned so that more people can feel that same way because it's just, it, it's too good to go un, untold, you know? So shout out to you, man, for doing what you're doing and helping others do the same. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Like I said, I totally agree with you. It's like, like, like now my thing is like, what the hell can I do with these ketones now? Because I'm, mm -hmm spent most of my life downplaying things that I wanted to do, hiding or holding back from stuff, or just simply saying, oh, I don't want to do it when I just knew I was just too big to do it. And now it's like I said, it's just like I, I have a new zest for life and like I just want to explore and see what life has to offer and help those along the way too because I tell people time and time again, this success isn't just limited to one person. Totally. Do you feel like there's, there's I had a few people on the podcast that have lost a lot of weight and it happens over time, obviously, but it happens suddenly enough that they'll forget that they've lost all that weight almost and they'll like hesitate to do normal day-to-day -day tasks that they would never have been able to do in the past, but now they can easily do them. Is there any instances of that happening where like you, it's almost like you're a different person. It's like you hadn't even caught up and recognized it yet. Um, I would say, uh, I don't know. I would say for me, it's uh, it's been people's compliments that have kind of helped me in keeping, I guess, myself more in tech. Because for me, I feel like you lose that weight, but then you don't necessarily lose the mentality associated with that weight loss. You don't lose that person that you once were. So the weight loss to me happens so much faster than the mindset shift that says you're now this smaller person. And so uh, for me, I always go back to uh, like when I do like because I do obstacle course racing now. So like the Spartan races, Tough Mudders and things like that. But when I first got into that lifestyle, I was maybe I'd say 20 pounds heavier than what I am now. And when you tell me to jump on the cargo net or you telling me to pull myself up a rope, I would tell you straight up, my, my fat ass can't do that. I'm, I'm, I, I can't do that. My body is not designed for that. And it's like people would look at me and say, no, you, you look pretty buff and strong. And I'm like, no. Nah, nah. No, that's, that's not what my body can do. And so um, it was just one of those things where that's what I would say really started to push me to find that zest to see what I can do. Because instead of constantly living that life of telling myself what I can't do, it's like, let me show myself what I actually can and cannot do. And so I feel like that has kind of helped me a bit tremendously and kind of shaking that, I guess what I would call fat phobia or that uh, fat fear of who I once was versus who I am now. Is your wife pretty big into like fitness and nutrition too? Like what she think about it all? She is 
she's not as big into the fitness and nutrition. I would say she's probably bigger, more so into the nutrition aspect of it, where she does like necessarily keeping the idea about it. And so it's kind of funny. She is a she's one of those people where I would say, do what she says, but not as I do type thing. And so as I went through this lifestyle, kind of talking to her about it and telling her and stuff, and it's like we would go out and stuff. And so it was like, oh, so like you, well, you know, I'm not gonna eat the tortilla chips, you know, with with this Mexican restaurant. And so then we would go out with like another friend and they would talk about, you know, losing weight and they would talk about keto and stuff like that. And everything I recited to her, she would recite to them, no problem. You know, you're not supposed to be eating them keto chips, but you're going to watch out for this. You're not supposed to be eating those tortilla chips. I mean, and watch out for this. Oh, and this meat would be good for you because it's fattier. I was like, so, so you do listen. You just don't want to do it. Yeah. Okay. I, I can't knock you for doing whatever you want to do. Don't get me wrong. I don't knock you by any means, but it just, okay, you do listen. I'll just leave it at that. You do listen. And so, like I said, she's big on the nutrition. Well, cool, cool. I mean, she, she's not giving you any more pants on the back saying, good job, we'll try next time anyways, at least, right? Exactly. No, no, none of that. None of that. <laughs> that's good. That's good. How'd you get an obstacle course, man? I've always wanted to, to do that. I haven't done it yet, but that's something that's kind of, I've got an itch to do, like the Spartan races. I feel like that'd be a heck of a lot of fun. Oh, man, it, it is. It's a great time. I, um, I actually, believe it or not, wind up getting into it uh, through my job. So prior to even really losing the weight, getting into keto, I was a very huge introvert. It was like, I, I would not really get out and do much. I worked, did my job, came home. That was it. And so they had this uh, event at my job where basically you can sign up for it. And some people were going to uh, a gym I heard where I stay at called Core Complex. It's actually where I work out at mm -hmm. now. And so um, I was like, well, I'll, I'll give it a try. And they said, you can bring some friends. So what better way to not be the only person who busts his face? So I, I brought some family with me. I um, brought my brother and uh, and his wife, and uh, I brought uh, Christina along with me. And so like we went to go do the obstacles, and um, that's kind of what just took it off from from me from there. Like to be able to jump into a a, a trampoline and land on a net and still catch myself. I'm like, wow! Like I I never was that guy. I was a guy where you'd tell me to jump and grab a bar and I was falling down within like the seconds I touched the bar because I just couldn't hold my weight up. And so now mm -hmm. being able to do that, being able to to go across walls or run up ramps and jump and actually pull myself up. Now, mind you, I did struggle a bit, but at least I was able to get myself up there. And so it was just simply doing that and seeing myself in that now, it was just such a relieving, it was such like a thrilling feeling that I was just like, I, I, I want to do this again. Even though I was scared of shit when I signed up for a gym membership, I was like, I, I, I have to do this again. This pushes my body in new ways I've never seen before. Uh, yeah, that, the, the obstacle course is fascinating, man, because it's such like a, it's like a practical way to use your strength, stamina, agility that you don't really get like just weightlifting in the gym or just doing any one thing. But like, it's a really good way to kind of meld everything together. Um, and like the Spartan races, uh, they have like the, the different distances, right? They've got three different distances, the sprint, the super, and the beast, if I remember yep, correctly. Yep, you got it. Um, you do all three, you get like the trifecta, right? Mm -hmm. I haven't got it personally, but yeah, there, there's the trifecta. Yeah, that's cool, man. And I read the the book by the author, the guy that actually made the Spartan races, and he's just, he's freaking crazy, man. Like some of the stuff he does, so like seeing that manifest in the obstacle course races got my interest for sure. What's the hardest obstacle that you've come across doing these races? Oh man, I don't even uh, I don't even remember like the names of them. I would say um, there is these things called uh, cannonballs, 
So basically the way I look at it is, and actually it's almost like a baseball suspended from a, a thin a metal white pole type thing. And so what you have mm-hmm. to do is you have to try to catch the uh, thin metal wire in between like your hand to hold yourself up on top of like the baseball. And so Ooh, exactly, rough. exactly. Now I'm used to like you people that seen like the Olympic rings where you have like basically like a ring string from uh, suspended from a string and you kind of just swing from side to side. People have seen that and those are a mm-hmm. bit easier because you get more of a full grip. But with this, having to use your fingers to try to pull and help keep yourself up and the swing and make that transition, it is one of those things where that is like my hardest obstacle to date is being able to, uh, they call them cannonballs, and to be able to move from cannonball to cannonball. And so that has been like the hardest one. I have an obstacle course race coming up uh, that I'm looking to do in November. It's going to be the, uh, the terrain race. And so they have that there. And so that is honestly the only reason why I'm trying to go to uh, Vegas. So that way I can do that uh, obstacle course. So that way I can accomplish those cannonballs. That sounds brutal, man. If you, if you don't pass it, each race has got like some kind of, uh, like you have to do burpees or something like that in order to get past it, right? Mm-hmm. I was going to say most races will have it. There are some that will just say, oh, you can go on to the next one. But it also depends on uh, what type of uh, wave you do. So they have what is called like the open wave. So basically you just kind of get through the, the distance and get through as many obstacles as you can. And so now I've switched over to challenging myself to do the elite waves. And with the elite waves, if you don't complete the obstacle, either you don't get the accolades or the kudos that go with it, or you have to complete the penalty to move on to the next obstacle. And so nobody really signs up for the elite wave just to, just to not complete an obstacle. Like, no, you're either going to do your burpees or you're going to do the obstacle. And that's just with the Spartan? Is that with uh, all the different types of races? I don't even know. There's like several different, I guess they call them like federations now, right? Mm-hmm. There's like several different ones. There's, um, and I, I'm still getting into this myself, but um, there's the ones that are more popular. Like I said, the uh, Spartans, the uh, Tough Mudders. There's also some other ones that are uh, called like the Rugged Maniac, um, the Terrain Race. There's... Um, Honestly, there's just so many different ones and each one kind of and not all of them, but most of them kind of have it to where you compete. And if you rank within the top 10, you qualify to go to nationals and nationals is uh, out, I believe, in Europe. I forget exactly which country out in Europe, but basically, uh, like I said, you you compete. And what they do is at nationals, they take kind of all of the main obstacles, like some of the toughest obstacles, let's say, for instance, from Spartan race. And they put it in this obstacle course race that you have to compete with at nationals. And so I'm just a bit newer to it, but it's one of those things where my goal is to keep progressing my way up and getting better and better. And it's crazy because, I mean, they're all over the they're all over the place. So like so much of the challenge is kind of determined by the the season you're in, like the elements, whether it's snowy or icy or just blazing hot and humid. I mean, that that's a cool aspect of it because there's more variables than just the obstacle itself. Sure is. And the last one I did was um, the Rugged Maniac. And I felt pretty good going into the obstacles. But one thing I didn't account for was the fact that it's at a ski resort. And so the big uh-huh. challenge was scaling up heels. And I'm like, oh, I, I didn't prepare for this. Wound up completing everything, but still it was just, I came from that race realizing I got, I got to get back on my running game. I got I to gotta step up my running. What's the, what's the vibe like with the other competitors? Everybody, is the camaraderie pretty, pretty good? Everybody is kind of like competing against each other, obviously, but it's all fun and games, basically. Honestly, I thought it would have been a bit more cutthroat, if I'm really being honest. But everybody is super cool, super chill. And it's like they're all focused on their own race. And they 
and they genuinely want you to run your best race. And it's like the it's like the weirdest vibe. That's cool. That's what you want. I definitely love it. Of all the different races, federations, which one's been the hardest thus far? Um, I would say I'm still learning the different federations. I would say in terms of just like the obstacle course races I've run, the um I would probably say there is one called uh I hate I'm forgetting the name of it, but I think it's called like Battlegrounds. I think it's something like Battlegrounds. Mm-hmm. And basically with that one, what really threw me off was uh I'm still working on my puny, my puny forearm strength. So um if you break up the obstacles for me, I can kind of balance out or have my f- grip strength last long enough to get through the race. But with this battlegrounds, they had mm-hmm. basically like five or six obstacles lined up back to back to back, which required heavy grip strength. And so this was a few months ago. And by this time, like I said, I haven't had as much conditioning and I was just honestly getting off an injury too. So it was one of those things where I was like frustrated with myself that I couldn't complete every single obstacle. And so I haven't even focused on the idea of time. It was just really the fact that I just want to get through every obstacle. Not, not, I, I couldn't. See, I lift with, uh, like when I'm training, I lift with uh, straps. So, like my grip strength is probably just terrible. I'd probably be getting murdered out there. <laughs> and that's how I was too. I was, it was either grip, it was uh, either straps or I had the false grip. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't used to now in this lifestyle having more so of the full on grip and, and really burning out that grip strength. And so that has been like a huge thing for me. Yeah, that's, that's cool, man. I definitely am going to get into it at some point. I've, I've been, like I said, I've gotten the itch for a while now. So I'm going to, it's, it's, it's probably a lot more fun. You got some buddies to go do it with you. Like you can kind of build a team out or so that, that just goes, goes and have fun. You know, I mean, that's the camaraderie behind an obstacle race. I feel like would probably be more prominent than most other sports that I'm familiar with. Oh no, it it totally is. It was a, cause I want to doing a tough mutter and, um, the tough mutter also tends to play a little bit more on the team camaraderie, but it was Mm -hmm. one of those things where you're running through an obstacle and like you hit like what they call like the warp wall. You've seen it on like American Ninja Warrior, but like you'll mm-hmm. hit the warp wall and you'll overcome that. But then you'll see the person behind you struggling. It's like you, you turn around and you stop. It's like, come on, like you can do this. Like you reach out a hand, you help pull them up. And it's just, it really is one of those team camaraderie things. Like you get excitement seeing other people accomplish obstacles. I think more than you even do when you accomplish them. That's cool. That's cool. I want to dive deep into like the intermittent fasting. Let's, let's let's switch gears a little bit here and talk about nutrition because there's a lot of different ways to do keto, a lot of different ways to do intermittent fasting, and what you're doing is obviously working well for you. So you do like a an OMAD approach, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, basically OMAD meaning one meal a day. Yeah, so you kind of progressed to that. What what made you go from just a traditional, uh, you know, like sixteen hour fast all the way to like a twenty four hour OMAD? If I'm really being honest, it's just accepting who I am. I'm a, I'm a fat ass at heart. Like I am one of those guys where for me, I have never been a guy where I need a plate of six different smaller items. So if you give me a large steak, I would actually rather enjoy that much more than you giving me six little appetizers and telling me that's my meal. In my mind, I feel like I need to eat more. Also two, I tried the three meals. I tried the two meals. And for me, I felt like eating three meals it was like this weird mind game with myself of saying, okay, well, I know I have another couple of meals coming up. So am I eating too much or am I not eating enough? Or, well, I am hungry now. So I am going to go ahead and eat this next meal because I have this next meal available to, it was like this, this mind thing with me where I felt like I tried the three meals for a while, even tried the two meals for a while. But I noticed that with me and how I am naturally, 
I would naturally rather eat 24 ounce ribeye steak and feel satiated from that and go many more hours on. I think it was the idea of it having light switches, the way I like to call it. The switch is either the switch is on and I'm eating or the switch is off and I'm not eating. I get those more absolutes as opposed to the idea of having this gray area, so to speak. I think that's huge, man. I feel like intermittent fasting is so much of a mindset thing that that honestly is like the the foundation upon which everything else is laid. Like for me, you know, I, I often describe like when I'm doing a prep as a light switch. I'm either on or I'm off. I can't really do this halfway thing. I'm an extremist at heart, so I've got to figure out what it is I want to do and then go 100% in it. And if I'm doing, you know, six, four, five, three meals a day, it's like there's just too many variables, too much room, too much margin for error. Whereas if I've like got a very strict plan, it's so much easier to stick to and I don't have to have that mental load of just all the decision. Like you have decision fatigue mm-hmm. and fatigue towards decision takes away from your discipline. And if your discipline's gone, then you're much more likely to just go off the deep end, eat a bunch of stuff you shouldn't, eat in excess, and obviously, you know, deviate from your goals. No, I totally agree. Totally agree. Another thing too that really was a big factor for me that kind of helped me uh, gravitate to OMAD was really the fact that um, at the very beginning of my keto journey, I counted my carbs religiously. That was the one macronutrient I focused mm-hmm. on, I counted carbs. I did not exceed 30 grams of carbs. Honestly, if I even hit the 20 to 30 window, I was a bit annoyed with myself. And so um, I never was a big fan of calories. I was like, I refuse to count calories. Like I, I can't imagine our ancestors before us so were sitting here looking at how many calories was in a food item. And so to me, like that just didn't make any sense. But one thing after I got mm-hmm. past, I would say about three or four months of carb counting, I found that counting hours of a day without eating felt to me, it felt more natural to me and felt easier to mentally control. So if I felt like I ate a relatively larger meal, let's say for instance, right now in this moment, and my natural class is 18 hours, I would see myself maybe going 20, 24 or longer until the point where my body is really sending me signals to say, hey, you need to go ahead and eat. And if my body is really telling me I need to eat, I'll eat. Even if the meal that I had last was a bigger meal, that's fine. I, ultimately, my body knows what it wants. And so I've learned to build that relationship to listen to my body, but also to, to understand how I can push my body too. So what does a, a, a typical like, meal for you look like? Um, I would say, uh, well, yesterday I had, uh, I had what, five pork chops, five fatty pork chops. Today, mm-hmm. uh, actually before I got on, I had myself a uh, 12-inch keto pizza, which uh, basically uh, had on it salami, it had uh, chorizo, and it had a deer sausage on there. Um, I would say for me, it really just becomes uh, listening to my body, but also to really keeping a fat tie. So I feel like some days I can't eat more, and other days I'll eat less. But at the minimum, I still maintain or strive to maintain an 18-hour fast a day. And I know you're not tracking calories, but if you were to just like ballpark guess, you know, how many calories you get in one large meal like that, do you have any idea whatsoever? Like, like you said, I haven't counted, but I would probably venture to say I'm upwards around a 3000 calorie range. And you have any trouble getting all that in or is it pretty easy to get that in without, you know, in one sitting? Oh, it's uh, pretty easy to get in in one sitting. Also too, another point that I kind of tell people about uh, OMAD is the idea that my OMAD can last me anywhere from being realistic, anywhere from 10 minutes to maybe about an hour. And that's because mm-hmm. if I'm out eating at a restaurant, of course, you know, food comes by at a certain time. 
Another thing too is the idea of uh, giving myself time to actually eat. So sometimes like today I had a, oh, I'm sorry, with my pizza that I had, I also had a pork chop, another pork chop. So uh, I would eat like a pork chop while I'm cooking my meal. And then basically I'll start to eat my meal. I kind of take my time with eating my meal. So that way, maybe 30, 45 minutes have passed. So I start to understand, or give my body time to respond to the uh, full signals. Because I feel like oftentimes I was eating food or I, I was eating the kinds of food or eating so fast that my body didn't have time to respond and say, hey, I think you're actually good. That's a huge point, man. Like if you eat incredibly fast, like if you slam down, like if you you can slam down 3,000 calories in 10 minutes easier than you can slam down 3,000 calories in 45 minutes because by then your your body's giving you the signal that it's full, unless you need mm-hmm. more than that, obviously. But when you when you get full, like your body lets you know, but you can't really get that signal if it's, you know, eating so quickly. Exactly. And one thing I do too is, uh, there's another little tip that I do is I just have myself a plate of food. And so after I've eaten that plate of food, I give myself about 20 to 30 minutes. If I still feel like I can go for more food, then I'll eat. But if I feel like now my stomach is starting or my body's starting to send those signals to me, I'm starting to feel like maybe like my stomach is starting to feel satisfied. I'm like, I've reached my stopping point, so I'm good to go. And so I'll start my fast back up like those 20 to 30 minutes I waited. What about greens? Are you getting a lot of veggies in with that meal or is it mostly like carnivore style? I would say I'm mostly carnivore. I, um, I will still eat veggies on occasion, but I'll be honest, they're usually covered in like bacon, uh, cheese of some sort. It's because they have some type of meat or something else with it that catches my, but I don't, I don't really do, um, now, veggies. Now I'm curious, man, cause you got, you got certified with Dr. Berg's program and he's known for, was it like seven to 11 cups of veggies or something a day yep. he recommends? He is. So what, what is the, uh, what, what gives there? Now, I will say this. In the beginning, I was a huge proponent of that. I would even advocate that to uh, people who I coached. And mm-hmm. I would say for me, and even now with my clients, I don't push that whole aspect a whole lot. The only reason why I would say that I would still keep up with that was really at the time, to my understanding, it was really trying to deal with or uh, correcting like um, fatty liver. So I had high mm-hmm. uh, liver enzymes that I was trying to correct. And one of the things that I saw with research was that green leafy vegetables will help clear some of that up. And even when I was eating uh, veggies, honestly, it was even through supplement form. I was like, I'm going to have to supplement these. So I do one or two scoops of like wheatgrass powder or something like that. But once I got my liver uh, levels back and they were now in the normal range, I stopped taking all of that. I was like, I'm good. I feel like it would be almost impossible to get enough quality nutrients from like ample sources of fats and proteins if you're taking in that many veggies with like an OMAD meal like that would just be too much volume to reasonably consume in one sitting out there I totally agree another thing too that I tell people is and I've realized even for myself is what veggies represent and even with the carnivore lifestyle at the end of the day is nutrients so you're looking to supply Mm -hmm. nutrients to your body and as long as you're doing that if you get that through vegetation form or if you get that through animal sources like as long as you're getting the nutrients for me i was like the more of these veggies i'm eating i feel like i'm bloated up i feel like it's it it makes it doesn't leave me feeling light which is weird the lightest thing i'm eating is leaving me feeling the fullest and the the heaviest versus me eating the steak mm-hmm. i feel like I'm, i feel just fine with eating the steak i feel like i feel just fine eating the pork belly and the bacon but it's when i start to eat all these veggies i don't feel so hot totally agree do you dive super deep into like the specifics of the meat nutrient density you're getting like 
are you you know really keen on the whole grass fed versus grain fed or what's your take on all that i definitely strive to go for the grass fed pasture raised as much as possible but at the same token too with mm-hmm. so many things that i have going on in life my finances actually don't necessarily always resonate with me getting the grass fed pasture raised so i strive for it whenever i can find it or whenever i can get it and other times it's like hey you know that's not necessarily going to be truthful all the case so i do like store bought and things like that but i also find like other little tips and tricks or other ways to improve my overall uh lifestyle so that way i don't necessarily have to worry so much about it so i tend to be one who's a bit more stringent on the idea of like certain seasonings and things like that where i won't use any msgs in my seasonings i'll try to get seasonings without dextrose or different ingredients like that don't really deal with artificial sweeteners so like all of this stuff together collectively is going to negatively impact your health. So if I can remove as much as I can, if I'm having a store-bought piece of meat, it's not going to be as detrimental as having a store-bought piece of meat with all these other ingredients and foreign things I'm putting in my body. So it's kind of just like my balance I try to have in life with, with my journey. No, that's, that's a good point, man. I like that. I like that. I think, I honestly don't even know where I stand on the whole grass-fed versus grain-fed. From a, from a nutrient quality standpoint, I can see you know, the hormonal aspect and the omega aspects of grass fed being, you know, better than the grain fed. But I don't know, man, I, I ordered or I bought some grass fed ribeye from Whole Foods the other day and I'm comparing it to a, a grain fed ribeye that I also got from Whole Foods. I'm not going to lie, that grass fed ribeye tastes like shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's not good at all. <laughs> I was getting it from the butcher and I asked the butcher, I'm like, hey man, which one of these you think tastes better? He's like, Bro, the grass-fed tastes like meaty spinach, meat-flavored spinach. And I'm like, oh, I don't even look forward to that now. <laughs> and see, like, I, I don't like, I've, I feel like I can see the difference. And in some cuts of meat, I can actually taste the difference. Mm-hmm. But honestly, it, it is not to one of those points where it has tipped me over the scale to being absolutely one way or the other. It's like, no, like, I... If I really want this store-bought steak to taste as good as probably a grass fed, I know it's not the best thing to say. Like, I'll just season the hell out of this steak. And like I said, it, it, it'll be pretty good. Like, I'm, I, no, I'm not going to. Like I said, I, I, t- I recommend it. But at the same token, too, I'm like, I don't necessarily follow that religiously. It's just one of those things where if you can get and you have access to it, great. If not, it's cool, too. Yeah, totally. I don't feel like people should ever you know, veer away from keto simply because they don't have the financial means to get like all the highest quality meats they can. I mean, that would be like the worst reasoning for not being keto. I mean, I, I kind of describe it as the worst quality meat that you can get is still better for you than the highest quality bread that you can get from some artesian, you know, handcrafted Italian oh, yeah. bread. I mean, you have to kind of pick and choose your battles. And I don't feel like not having the financial means to get the grass fed would by any means warrant the need to not be keto. Oh, no, no. I, I, I've told people a, a couple of things. One was uh, I'm not opposed to go to a, a store or even like a butcher. And I'm like, can I get a 10, 20 pound bag of like your cheapest ground beef like this? I'm just going to eat some. I'm going to eat a different type of ground beef meal every day because that's what my finances allow for right now. And there's other moments where I'll go to a butcher. And I'm like, hey, can I get some duck eggs, please? You know, so once again, like that's what my finances allow at that moment. But uh, to your point, even about the low quality meat, I've had people where uh, I've talked to where it's like, oh, I would start keto, but I don't. Oh, you know, like I, I got to go grocery shopping and I'm like, that, that's 
That just sounds like bullshit. Like if you were going to eat something to eat now, where would you go? Oh, I go to Wendy's. What would you mm-hmm. get at Wendy's? I, I'd probably get a baconator. I was like, we'll still get the baconator, but take the bread off, get rid of the ketchup, like, and just eat the meat and like the bacon. I was like, bam, you can start right there. Like it's just that simple. Well, I thought that wasn't necessarily like the, the healthiest or that. It's better than the shit that you were eating before. The totally. goal is not necessarily to strive for perfection, but to strive for progression. And as long as you're progressing and making efforts that helps improve your health, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter about doing the most perfect thing. 100%. I think maybe you saw this article. I don't, I don't remember, even if it was an article, I don't remember where I heard this, but didn't they do like a poll of all the uh, fast food restaurants? And I think Wendy's won for the highest quality meat, if I remember correctly. I believe so. At least I can't remember wh- where that's from, but um, I definitely believe so. And um, even uh, with it, I was telling people, I was like, I still will pull up to McDonald's. I'll, I'll still go to Burger King for a flame broil. Like I don't. Once again, like I say, as long as you're making those better choices, it's like. But also, too, I uh, feel like. I feel like McDonald's and like Burger King and other places do a better job uh, using the salt. Yeah, I'm like, sure. They, they, they hit me with the salt. But that was before I started walking around carrying salt now. I'm kind of extra like yeah. that, too. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I did the same thing, man. I mean, you know, you know, you're hardcore when you get like a. Redmond salt shake in your back pocket wherever you go. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Glove compartment in the house, like at work, it, it, it doesn't matter. There's salt everywhere. So on that topic, let's let's talk about electrolytes for a second. If you're doing OMAD and you're not getting, because you're not salting your foods throughout the day because you're not having meals throughout the day, what does your electrolyte and hydration protocol look like? Uh, I would say I probably hydrate too damn much. Um, I'm usually before... It's even noon. I probably had about 70 to 80 ounces of uh, fluids. That fluids is either coffee, mm-hmm. unsweetened tea, water. Every now and then I'll also do like an, uh, an electrolyte powder like Ultima. So I'll do like mm-hmm. that as well, which I know it does have the stevia in it. But um, And so I'll do that. But every drink that I have that's not like Ultima gets hit with uh, Redmond sea salt. Everything gets hit with sea salt. If I'm drinking a plain water, sea salt it. If I'm drinking coffee, sea salt it. There's sometimes so it gets sometimes I'm so bad that uh my coffee tastes like salt. And I'm like, oh yeah. At least it's electrolytes. At least I'm at least I'm hydrating. And the reason are, being are you is, only getting oh go ahead. No, I was saying the reason being is uh one time I was at a workout and my hamstring cramped up. And that was all mm-hmm. I needed to know to realize that it's you I have I have yet to have too much salt. But I have been close enough too many times to having not enough salt and not enough electrolytes. So that's why everything is hit with it. Totally, totally. Do you add um, any other source of potassium other than that Ultima that you had throughout the day? No, no, I don't. And actually, this is a question I've had uh, from some, uh, some of my clients uh, about potassium. It's one of those things where I have not really even thought about potassium simply just because within the meats and the amount of meat that in which I eat, I'm like, that. it's already there. I also, yeah, too, that's, I, go, that's, I mean, if you're eating, go ahead. No, I'm just saying also too, I just try to make sure I get a regularly a blood work done. And that's one of the areas I look for, like my electrolytes. And they're like, I haven't had an issue to where they like my electrolytes were low or I was deficient in potassium. It was like, everything is looking pretty good. Yeah. I feel like potassium is kind of interesting. A lot of people, you know, like I don't get cramps really at all. And, I feel like if you are having enough sodium, that's the the best way to mitigate any risk of of cramping. If you're eating enough 
quality meat, you're going to be getting a pretty good dose of potassium from that. I notice, like me personally, I'll supplement with potassium just to kind of improve uh, the pump I get while I'm training. I notice that if I'm deficient in potassium, I don't necessarily start cramping, but I'll notice not getting as as good and solid a pump while I'm training. Mm. So I try and you know increase the dosage a little bit for that reason, especially since my I have a pretty good fast window from my last meal with a lot of you know meat that contains potassium to the time that I train. So just having like a, a dose of potassium in the morning prior to working out has improved my uh, you know my ability to get like a good salt pump while training. Mm, okay, I think another thing too that kind of helps me out is uh I tend to be one where in my primarily carnivore lifestyle I eat like a wide array of uh, different meats. So I'll have salmon, I'll have oysters, I'll have uh, shrimp, I'll have a uh, beef liver, I'll have a uh, pork liver in the form of like a pate. Uh, I'll do a beef heart. So I'll do like just a wide range of different types of meats just because of, I don't know necessarily every single nutrient that's in it, but I know the more diverse my protein profile, the more nutrients I'm taking into my body. And so I try to keep a pretty huge array. And like I said, once again, like if I go out to eat and I have my old man, it's not uncommon for me to eat anywhere from like, like about 30 oysters in one sitting. I mean, I have it for another week or two. Mm -hmm, yep. Raw cooked as long yeah, as they cooked I, I love raw oysters. Yeah. Do you notice, like, if you go a long time without eating any organ meats and you're mostly just doing muscle tissue, do you notice any adverse effects? I would say the only thing that I have truly noticed a difference of is uh, is really maybe uh, more so like in the, in the in the bowel movement kind of area where I feel like I um. I notice when I have more organ meats, I feel like I will tend to have more of a consistent mm -hmm. bowel movement or at least multiple throughout the day. Whereas like if I don't, it tends to be maybe one, maybe one every other day. And so that's about the only thing I've seen. But in terms of how I feel, though, I don't necessarily feel, I guess you can say like heavy or, or bloated or anything. I just it's weird. Like I feel like that all kind of goes together. So even if I haven't had that bowel movement, I'll notice my desire to eat or my appetite kind of goes down with it, too. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. I mean, I definitely gravitate more towards like a carnivore-esque style of keto. I don't, uh, I mean, and sometimes I'll have a huge salad and not think anything of it. Um, and I'll have like yogurts, you know, keto-friendly yogurts and stuff like that. But I don't need a whole lot of greens. But I do think if you're going to go predominantly carnivore-based, the more you can have like a holistic nose, a tail approach and get, you know, all that in, the better. Because then you're just covering all your bases, basically. Mm-hmm. Yep. Totally agree. Uh, um, when it comes to the uh, veggies, it's uh, it's one of those things where for me, like, I don't think veggies are bad. I just feel like when it comes to when I'm done and I feel satisfied, I feel more regret with a stomach full of veggies than I do with a stomach full of protein totally. or a stomach full of like, uh, like meats. So like that is why for me, I've just honestly gravitated away from the veggies. Also, too, I noticed that, like I said, I didn't feel as bloated. Or as uh, I didn't feel the indigestion when I cut back on my veggies too. So they just kind of closed the casket for me. Yeah. The only thing, I mean, if I'm eating veggies, I try and like basically saute them in a whole bunch of fat. I don't notice near as much of an issue then. Or if I'm eating like a, you know, fermented, like probiotic style veggie, like sauerkraut, that's already been, you know, partially broken down. But if I'm eating just like straight up raw vegetables, I get a lot of, you know, just bloating and, and stomach issues with that. Yeah. Oh, and oh my goodness, you brought up one of my favorite things. Uh, you asked me about, uh, 
hydration and electrolytes, I, I love pickle juice. Mm-hmm. Since doing fasting and all that, like I am, I buy jars of pickles and I just annihilate the pickle juice. I, I need to find a recipe to just make it yeah. because I drink so much of it that it, it's not, it doesn't make sense financially to keep buying these jars of pickles. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, I bet it'd be probably pretty easy to make it. Plus, if you make it yourself, you'll like if you're getting pickles from like the dry goods part, part of the store, they've got all that preservative in there to make it shelf stable. So it's going to have killed all the good bacteria. Whereas if you're making it yourself or buying the, the you know, refrigerated pickles, you're going to get all that good uh, bacteria bodies in there. I was going to ask you, man, what with you training one time a day or with you eating one time a day, have you noticed any, any uh, you know, adverse effects to your ability to build muscle tissue? Because a lot of people... If they're like on a building phase, um, you know, and they're prioritizing building muscle over losing fat, they'll increase the meal frequency. Have you noticed any need for that? Like, has your strength continually gone up despite only eating once a day? Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, I feel like that. I feel like that shit is the biggest myth. Like, that is one of those things that uh, really gets me. Sorry about that. That's one of the things that really gets me. Um, I do not feel like living an OMAD lifestyle or a ketogenic lifestyle has negative impact to your ability to build muscle. Yeah, I believe it supports it and enhances your ability to build muscle. Now, one thing uh, I do, I stress more so than anything else besides the protein is recovery and also to how you train the muscle. And so for me, I feel like having that once again, like how I like to have a, a diverse spectrum of foods that I eat. I like to have a diverse spectrum of ways in which I train my muscle. So I'm not going to always go to the gym and hit 12 to 15 reps for, for a set. Some days that may be the case. Other days I'm looking at my set as being 50 reps. I'm doing that. Mm-hmm. Also, too, it's like if you're going to go to the gym and tear your muscles up like that, you need almost as much time, if not more, in my opinion, to recover that muscle properly. So that way it knows to get ready for that next onslaught or heavy workout. And so as a matter of fact, since doing this lifestyle, I've actually started working out less while still maintaining the idea of building on lean muscle mass. I like it. What What is your like? timing it's like what time do you wake up what time do you train what time do you eat what time do you go to sleep at first uh it was kind of just a, a go with the flow type thing i always wake up at about 4 30 a.m and uh usually at that time it's usually primarily like cardio I, um also too have now gotten into the habit where i invest in myself whether it's either listening to audiobook podcast meditation reviewing goals things like that and so um that's what I usually do with my morning. With work, I usually uh, work Monday through uh, Friday. That's about 6.30, 7.30. I get a little bit of flexibility till about 3, 3.30. From that point on, I've now gotten into the habit to where uh, I'll go to the gym. I'll try to beat the rush hour traffic, and I literally set a timer for myself for one hour. I have one hour to come in, get it in, hit it hard, hit it fast, and I'm out. So that way I can now start focusing on other different avenues in terms of the keto coaching, um, clothing line I'm uh, coming out with, or basically I'm out with just working on that. So that way I can start working on developing more of the business aspect because now mm-hmm. I'm at a phase in my keto journey where I feel pretty good on my um, health and fitness and my lifestyle. And now it's also building and incorporating other aspects while maintaining the success I've uh, attained thus far. It's easy to do, man. You got all this endless energy with keto and, you know, you knock things out of the park. It's like, what else can you add to the plate? And honestly, that's why I love OMAD so much, too, because literally it's only focusing on eating one meal. I don't have to worry about constantly mm-hmm. pulling out containers. I don't have to worry about constantly cleaning. 
what's going to be the next meal in a few hours that I'm making. It's like, no, just focus on this one meal and move on. And you eat that after you get home from training? Like, is that mm-hmm. as soon as you get home from training, you have that meal? Yep. Usually what I'll do is uh, sometimes, because I do what I call like a rolling fast. So whenever I have my last meal, so my fast starts. So um, if my last meal is at six o'clock, then that's when my fast starts. My last meal could be at 2 p.m. That's when my fast will start. And so uh, from that point on, one thing I've gotten so used to and enjoying is actually my fasted workouts. So if I had a fast that ends at 1230, but I don't get off work until 330, I likely won't eat until about 530 or 6. So that way I've had time to work out in the fasted state. I just naturally feel better. Yeah, I feel like working out in the fasted state is huge. Yeah, you you feel better. You get more blood flow. Like everything's better. And see, I know people talk about the whole idea of like more fat burning and all of that. And I don't necessarily look at it from the state of more or or less fat burning, however that goes. I just feel like if you are in a condition to where you can function better, it's just going to translate into more of an effective workout itself. Like I said, I'm only giving myself an hour. Totally agree. And I want the hour to be the best hour I can make it. How like on average? I know you said it's a rolling fast, but on average. How many hours is it from the time you finish eating your large meal to the time you go to bed? I feel like for me, it goes in waves. In this wave, I would say it's probably about three to four hours. I've had waves to where it's been like an hour before I go to sleep. And um, at that time. Your sleep tougher? Honestly, I felt like I was, I slept better. Do you get tired after you had, like, if you have a, a large, you know, your OMAD meal, like, late afternoon, for instance, do you get, like, a like a slight dip in energy after that big meal? That slight dip will come if I feel stuffed. So there's been a time or two where I've eaten too much or I've eaten too much too fast, and I'll feel that. But if I eat and I now wait my 20 to 30 mm-hmm. minutes to see how I feel, I actually don't have that dip. I'll eat a big meal sometimes, and, I mean, obviously, totally keto, like, mostly carnivore and I'll still get a little dip of energy sometimes, but it's, it's normally if it's just mm-hmm. a massive meal, but I mean, that, that, that makes common sense. Like people should kind of expect a lot of people, if you're eating like a whole bunch of carbs, you're going to have a massive, you know, food coma, but it's totally normal to have a dip in energy if you're eating just a massive meal comprised totally of meats. But I like that wait 20 yeah. minutes after your first serving to kind of get your body signal. That's, that's a good, that's a good tip for sure. Yep. And also, too, I just tell people, too, I just feel like uh, in general, I'm like, I feel like this is a lifestyle where you make peace with the associated, like, negative connotations with it. So I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm I'm a fat ass. So now that I've made peace with it, I, I go back for seconds mm-hmm. if I need to go back for seconds. Like, yeah, I eat a lot of fat. I'm a fat ass like that. As that I, I get it. Yes, I know. Um, this is going to be bad for my heart. We'll see what my next blood work says. It's one of those lifestyles to where, like I said, I really do feel like it's one of those things where you can enjoy being against, I guess, the norm while still focusing on your health and, and enjoying the benefits of it. So I'm like, don't, don't feel self-conscious. If you feel like you need to go for another round of food after you've had like, if you had, after you had a plate, go ahead. Don't stuff yourself. Don't gorge yourself. But your body yeah. is telling you something and you need to listen to your body more so than what society and other people are telling you. Totally agree, man. I feel like you know, with a lot of foods out there, you obviously know that it's not healthy. So like when you eat a big serving of it or you go back for seconds, it's like you inherently know that what you're doing is not good. Whereas with keto, it's like, this is healthy. You know that it's healthy. So like you don't have to have this guilt associated with it. So if you're still hungry and you go back for seconds, it's not like 
a bad thing even. It's like, okay, my body's still hungry. I mean, there's there's definitely instances where you can take it too far, but generally speaking, you're much more in tune with your body with keto because you're not getting all the false signals from the insulin spikes so that you're able to just eat and know what your body truly needs or doesn't need and you don't have to feel bad about it. Exactly. Exactly. And that's the thing I've I've just loved with it where it keto to me has felt more naturally to how I would eat or how I should be eating than any other lifestyle I've, I've taken on thus far. 100%. Totally agree. Well, what, what's, uh, what's coming, man? What, what do you got going up in the future? You've been coaching now for how long? I've been uh, coaching uh, for about, oh man, I'll say about uh, six months or so now. I've uh, been coaching. I've actually uh, started coaching with the Keto Evangelist Group. I've been coaching with them now for going on uh, about a month, month and a half. And so I've awesome. been doing that. I've um, also, too, um, come out with, uh, like I said, my own uh, keto like clothing line. So that way we can just kind of have more like T-shirts, hoodies, things like that. They kind of start to represent us and our lifestyle, create more talking points without, without necessarily us eating butter being a talking point itself type thing. So uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Been doing that. And then to just uh, working on creating more of a uh, presence or creating more of an awareness for keto, especially within the African-American community, because uh, I believe with this lifestyle, a lot of people get it. I just don't believe a lot of minorities get it at this point, especially within the African-American community. And so I want to show them and kind of be an example and say, hey, like, look, I'm, I'm black like this. This is not about a race thing where this can benefit our health and our longevity. And so just to show people and kind of be a light to say, hey, you can reap these same benefits, too. You don't have to. I, I come from the same background of having parents and, and grandparents that have diabetes and them dealing with the complications associated with diabetes and being able to break that tradition, that curse to say, no, I won't be a person keeping that going on any longer. And just using keto and intermittent fasting as a way to do that while still having a zest and enjoyment for life. That's, that's an interesting, interesting point, man. Why, why is it that the keto space, maybe I'm totally wrong, but just from my observation, it seems that the vast majority of the keto community is comprised of predominantly white individuals, whereas you don't see too many black people that that are in the space now that doesn't mean they're not out there but i'm not seeing them as much so why do you think that may be because i'm totally curious as to that because i have no idea i have uh, my own theories i would say um two of the theories that i have one of which is the fact that um this this is how i noticed that my mother and my grandmother used to eat like years back when i was like a kid where it was like you would cook up the bacon and then you would take the bacon and you would turn around and use it to cook another item or you would use it to uh, fry up something in. It was like you were taught to recycle and to embrace the idea of fat. And I feel like with that, mm -hmm. with the whole idea of now fat now becoming the demon and becoming the issue, it also pairs with another idea where I feel like this is pretty big in the African-American community. We will follow religiously what our doctor tells us to do. So if our doctor tells us that now fat is the demon, now fat is a bad thing, we'll religiously follow that. And we're religiously adhere that, even it's going against our own health, and we're not seeing an improvement in our health. And so that whole idea of revamping or changing the way that we were used to cooking naturally to now saying, instead of that bacon fat, now you got to use the vegetable oils because that's healthy. That's heart healthy. It's like I see so many of people within the African-American community. I see so many of my brothers and sisters who kind of go through that. And it's like, no, like, no, like that's. That's, that's not working for you. Like, no, that's not helping. Like, I get it because I've been down that same road, too. And so also, too, I feel like a lot of the foods, a lot of the 
processed shitty foods have been so ingrained within traditional way of cooking that it is hard for people to understand the difference. It's hard for Blacks to understand the difference. And also, too, I find mm-hmm. that even just educating people on what the difference between like I could tell somebody about flour. They'll tell you about flour, but then you go to talk about almond flour, and it's like, what, what, what the hell is that? It's like, what, what is that? Like, just a lack of education yeah. too associated with uh, passing that on and, and helping Black people to realize that you can still enjoy the foods that you love, but go back to the ways in which we were cooking them beforehand, or find these alternative ways that don't necessarily hurt and harm the body compared to all-purpose flour, or getting away from the jiffy mix. So that's a good point. Do you feel like, because like now that, that keto's gained a lot of popularity and I mean, there's like marketing associated with keto and different keto products out there. Do you feel like keto is marketed more so, more so towards the white community versus the black community? Or is there any difference that you've been able to tell? I do feel like it is more marketed towards the white community. And I think honestly, it's just simply because the white community supports the products more so versus with the black community. It's like, I don't see necessarily, and I hate to say it this way, but I feel like there is money within the black community, but also too, I feel like what we spend that money on is not necessarily geared towards the idea of health. And because I don't feel like we see the, the investment back within ourselves. And so I think that is part of the idea of communicating to the African-American community to say, you know, being able to have the energy to do more, being able to not necessarily spend so much money on all of these different groceries and chips like that to say to get that value back in you tenfold, in my opinion. And so I do feel like the products are more advertised to white people, but I think that's truly because white people are spending the money and also to speaking up about their interests in it. Whereas when I talk to a lot of black people, it's like, oh, well, I, I mentioned keto to my doctor. My doctor told me no. Or I mentioned this and like people said this. And so being able to be more of a pioneer to say, hey, people may say that, but you can't deny the proof in the pudding. And I feel like that has been something that has been coming more prevalent. I've been able to, uh, with it, like, and I also too, I yeah. just feel like from a cultural standpoint, and this is just my personal experience, I feel like black people are inherently designed to trust one another. I don't, I I haven't quite put my finger on why, but I feel like if me and you both were to walk into a room and you were to talk about keto versus I were to talk about keto to black people, I feel like more black people would probably gravitate and resonate towards you to at least listen to what you say. Even though I may seem to blend in just because it's like, oh, well, I don't feel like you really have the science or the, and not saying I'm, I'm dumb or anything. It's just this idea where you just seem to be more of an authoritative figure on the matter. So although we hear what you're saying, both of you guys sound the same, like, I don't know, like there just seems to be that barrier. And so that is why it has been so important for me to constantly share my story on social media and things like that. So people see day in and day out that this isn't just some bluff. This isn't just some game. This is actually my lifestyle. And this is how you can start to incorporate into your lifestyle to reap your own kind of benefits. I put some, uh, I got some chicken the other day and I put it in the air fryer and I, I didn't bread it at all. I just put some seasoning on there and threw it in the air fryer for like 25 minutes. And that thing was super crispy, delicious, didn't require hardly any effort whatsoever. And I mean, it, it was like yes. I said, delicious, nutritious. I mean, that's what you want. It's like people, <laughs> they don't want to give up certain food items because they, they just stuck to them. But there's a whole the new world out there. If you just like allow yourself to, get keto adapted and like 
recognize the benefits that come with that. I mean, honestly, your flavor, I mean, your your taste buds improve. So like you can actually taste the food that you're eating as opposed to it being just, you know, totally diluted. Um, so yeah, man, no, no excuse should be brought down to just not wanting to give up a certain food group. So oh, yeah. yeah, keep, keep doing what you're doing, man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Definitely. And I definitely appreciate the platform and, too, man, being able to speak too. So, oh yeah, for sure, man. I, absolutely. I, I'm sorry that I couldn't really connect with you and talk much at KetoCon. I saw you in passing, but it's cool to be able to sit down and have a conversation with you. Oh, I, I already knew that that wasn't going to be my last time. You, you were going to see me again. I already good, knew that. Good. Yeah, man. Where, where can people go to find out more about you? Like, what's your Instagram? What's your what's the website for the new apparel? Um, the uh, website for the new apparel, and also too, just like with my Instagram, it's black b l a c k the letter n keto k e t o. That's all one word. So that's going to be for Instagram at black and keto. That's also going to be for my Facebook page at black and keto. For the website, it's also black and keto dot equid e c w i d dot com and so that'll have like the apparel also too you can find me uh, on keto evangelist coaching you can find me there uh look for carlos spells um there there's also two other great coaches because even if you may not resonate with my style or my way of talking or doing things there's other great coaches there too who are definitely who I support them helping you and anybody else get to like a healthier and better lifestyle. And um, I'll say, yeah, that's, that's basically the the three best ways. I would say I'm definitely on Instagram, Facebook, and then uh, the website too. And I always love just hearing questions, stories, whatever. As long as we can grow this community and help each other get healthier and better. That's all I'm, I'm, I'm for that. 100% man. That's what it's all about. Well, I'll link out to those, make it easy for people to find you. And if there's everything I can do for you, man, just let me know. Oh, I won't hesitate, man. I definitely appreciate it. You bet, brother. Take care, Carlos. Ah, right, you too, man. Thank you.